My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Sunrise family, uh, it is so good to be with you again. As I think about uh, all the events going on in the last couple of weeks, it's like you have to have one of those big calendars to keep track of everything that's going on in our world. Um, I was uh, in a great way uh, wrapped up in this thought of Yom Kippur. I don't know if you realized it, but this last week was Yom Kippur, the holiest day for the Jewish people, uh, also known as the Day of Atonement. It's a very specific day, and there's a lot in the Old Testament about it. But it's a day of atonement, a day of being reminded of God covering over our sins, a day of repentance, a day of acknowledgement that you have fallen far. And it's an opportunity for you to come together, and as a Jewish person, to be able to uh, worship through prayer, through spend the whole day in synagogue if you're able to, to be able to, as a nation, come together and say very clearly, you know, we're thankful that God has covered our sins. Now, as a follower of Christ, I know that Jesus has done that, and so he's the ultimate Yom Kippur. He's the atoning one. He covered all of our sins on the cross. Uh, but as I was thinking about Yom Kippur, what struck me about it was the year. Uh, th- this is the year, the Jewish year, 5781. And uh, in Jewish belief, that's when God created the world. And so we're approaching year 6000, which when they believe the Messiah would come for a thousand year uh, Sabbath. Um, but I thought 5781, that's a lot of years. And uh, if you just go back to the very beginning of Abraham, uh, we go back thousands of years, right? 2,000 to Christ, you know, another 2,000 plus, and then another 2,000 before that. And, and we see all this old history of a people who never had a place to call home. And when they finally did settle down, they were ripped out of it. I mean, the story of the Jewish life and culture and religion is a story of never being able to truly settle down. If you go back to Abraham, Abraham is this guy that leaves the earth, the Chaldees, the Mesopotamia, the Fertile Crescent, goes across to uh, what we would now call Israel or Palestine, and he doesn't really find a home. He's a man who uh, lives in a tent. He's a sojourner. 
And uh, then his descendants finally occupy uh, a place in Egypt, but they're slaves. They're not home yet. And then finally, they get to go back through Moses. They get to go home to the promised land. But you read that sad history is that over and over and over and over again, because of their stubborn rebellion against God, they were not to fully, truly worship God in the land. They were ripped out of the land. They were taken away. I mean, in the season where they're in the land, they have occupiers that come in and control it. And then they get taken away by the Assyrians, the Babylonians. I know you did not come to church for history lesson, my friends, but this is important. Okay. And then, then you add the Greeks coming in and Hellenization. And then you add the Romans coming in with Herod the Great and the suppression of God's people, the Jews. And then you add a situation where you've got now a continuing growing presence of the Jewish people outside of Israel. More and more and more, they do not have their homeland. And then you add things like um, persecution from the Muslims, persecutions from the Catholics, persecutions from the Christians. And you continue on and you go on and on and on. And you end up in a situation where finally in Nazi Germany, the Holocaust, all this persecution. And, you, and what's important to note about this, and this is why I bring it up, is that the Jewish people have a very complicated relationship in history with persecution and suffering. And as a result of that, this is important, as a result of that, they have always thought of themselves as a people far from home as a people very unique in a culture all around them. They've always seen themselves as a people waiting for God to deliver them. Now, if you just jump right into that, as a follower of Christ, all the early followers of Christ were Jews. I read a book a number of years ago, Stanley Hauerwes, and he wrote called Resident Aliens. And uh, it's a pretty fascinating quote. I want you to see this because it, it relates to what the Apostle Peter's going to say today. The Jews in dispersion, and now this is any of their dispersion, but specifically at the time of Christ and when afterwards they're spread around the world, no longer allowed to go back to their homeland, they were well acquainted with what it meant to live as strangers in a strange land. Aliens, foreigners, resident aliens trying to stake out a living on someone else's turf. Jewish Christians, now I just got to stop for a moment because all the early Christians were Jews, okay? So uh, later on, uh, for the most part, they became Gentiles. That's, that's who we are for the most part. But the fact is, all the early Christians were Jews. So Jewish people who were used to a culture, used to a way of life, used to seeing themselves as a culture within a culture, now following Jesus, they still see life that way. Jewish Christians had already learned in their day-to-day -day life in the synagogue how important it was for resident aliens to gather to name the name to tell the story, to sing Zion's songs. That's a reference to uh, Israel's songs, uh, Jerusalem. There's a place called Mount Zion, but basically the house of God. Zion's songs in a land that didn't know Zion's God. All you have to do is read the Psalms. Read it when they're in captivity in Babylon and they hang up their harps because they just can't sing anymore, right? Because they're no longer home. He says, the church, therefore, is a colony. Just like the Jewish people believed it, just like the Jewish Christians believe it, and now as Gentile Christians, the church is a colony, an island of one culture in the middle of another. In baptism, our citizenship is transferred from one dominion to another, and we become, in whatever culture we find ourselves, resident aliens. 
Now, the reason I bring that up is because I think that is so important for you and for me today. Because the truth of the matter is that they never, as Jewish people, uh, believed they were the dominant culture and, until they were led by David and Saul and, and Samuel and those guys. And, but other than that, they've never seen themselves as the dominant culture. And for the first 300 years of the church, they were not, as Jew and Gentile Christians, the dominant culture. The early believers never saw themselves as ruling over with the sword. They always saw themselves as followers of Christ, submitting in humble nature of Christ by the cross and dying to themselves. Now, see, I think we struggle with this as American Christians, and I'm going to get pretty specific here. I think as a dominant, or we think we're dominant, we're post-Christian in America. We just, as followers of Christ, we're having a hard time with that. But as the dominant culture in America, we ruled in such a way that we felt like we had power. And we probably did. But we no longer have power. The question is, what will our presence be like? Will it be a fighting to regain power? Will it be about politics? Or will it be about Jesus? Because as people who live separate from the world, we should see ourselves as a colony within a colony, a group of people within a larger group of people, not better than anyone else, not worse than anyone else, but realizing that we are far from home and this world should never, should never draw us to a contented state. Think about this. Early Christians born out of a people that knew they were different, oftentimes rejected by the world. Have we gotten comfortable thinking that we can control? You see, Peter writes to a group of people that knew what it was like to be persecuted. Peter writes, in fact, this letter to Peter is about suffering. It's about not just the suffering they're going to go through, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, a, a foretelling of the suffering that's going to happen in just a few months, within a year plus. I think it's a good season for you and for me to go through First Peter because we are resident aliens. We are exiles in a foreign land. And how we respond to the reality that we're different will really be the winning or the losing of our testimony for Jesus Christ. So this is a section I read last week, but I, and we, we went around it, but I want to jump into it today. And it's in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. So here's what we see. Uh, Peter says, uh, in the midst of this situation about our salvation, we saw last week, if you missed it, you can tune in for that on icesunrise.com. He says, so be truly glad. This idea of being saved, being born again in a new life with God. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Uh, there's probably not just joy. There's also persecution. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. And then verse 7, he says this, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So here's what Peter is saying. You know, you've got some options here. You could fight 
the persecution. You could take up arms and try to rule over Nero and the emperor of Rome. That was never going to be successful. Uh, Jewish zealots had tried to do that centuries before, and it ended up being uh, just a horrible thing, and it was going to be a horrible thing with the destruction of Jerusalem. And so the reality is, even as followers of Jesus, you, you could choose to fight, but that's not going to win. It's not going to help the cause of Christ. Or you could choose to retreat. You could withdraw and run away from persecution, and you could be safe, and maybe your family could be safe. Uh, as followers of Christ, we could retreat into our churches, retreat into our safe zones. We could move to Canada. We could go somewhere else, you know. Uh, but the fact is, that's not going to share the gospel of Christ. What is going to demonstrate the amazing gospel of Jesus is how we respond to a culture that's against us. And what do they see in us? Do they see fight? Do they see flight? Or do they see a presence of God? Peter uses the word trials. It's an interesting word because um, in other parts of the New Testament, it's translated trials, it's translated troubles or temptations, even tests. Uh, and so this idea of, of trial or trouble is an oft-repeated. It basically means that, to experience to examine, to be put to the test, to be put under the, maybe the microscope, as it were, to be sifted through, uh, to be, as we'll see here, to be purified by fire. See, the truth of the matter is, is this, is that tests come. It's not unnecessary suffering. This is not them suffering because they're jerks. This is not them suffering because they're doing wrong. This is not just suffering because of natural disaster. This is suffering because of their testimony of Jesus, because they have put their faith in one and only one way to salvation, which is Jesus. And now they suffer because of that. Peter uh, is uh, echoing really what James said. If you, if you think about the book of James, it's got a lot to do with this too. I want to take you to a couple verses here. James 1, 2 to 4, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, not if, but when troubles, and it's a variety like a multicolored said, there's all kinds of troubles come your way. Consider it as an opportunity to complain on social media and argue your point. No, consider it as an opportunity for great joy. Same thing Peter just said. In the midst of your suffering, and, and I'll say that I'm sure that we could wrap up our personal suffering, we could wrap up our health suffering, we could wrap up our social distance suffering, we could wrap up COVID suffering, we could wrap up all that frustration that's going on right now, absolutely. But he's talking about suffering for the name of Jesus, which most of us do not experience here in the U.S. So he says, for when you for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect to complete, lacking nothing. So what is your natural attitude? What is your natural response, your natural bent when things don't go your way? Me, I get irritated. I get frustrated. Um, are you negative? Are you positive? Do you complain about it? Uh, when somebody else goes through it, are you supportive? Are you attacking? Are you skeptical? Are you filled with gratitude? Or do you grumble? Do you mumble? Do you stumble in your faith? Are you loving or are you angry when things don't go your way, particularly challenging things? And again, I, I, it's fine to equate this all with what we're experiencing, COVID, absolutely. But Peter specifically and James is specifically talking about suffering for Jesus, which we do not know about. A little bit later, he writes this down in verse 12 of chapter 1. He says this, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. By the way, that's the same word there, troubles or trials. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. 
And so we are going to be tested. We are going to be tempted or, or go through a trial or temptation. That word is all the same. We're going to be examined is what Peter and what James says. And when we're examined, what's going to happen? Um, one of my pithy statements I use at home, and it's just a simple illustration. I like, I like coffee, but I really like tea. And when you drop a tea bag in hot water, that's when you find out what kind of tea it is. That's, that's how you know. And that's what you find when you look at a person, a human being. When you're dropped in a dangerous or very challenging situation, what comes out is what's really on the inside. And, and I, I'll just say this as a, as a pastor, as for some of you, maybe many of you, your pastor, um, what comes out of you right now when you think about politics? What comes out of you right now when you think about the pressures of COVID? What comes out of you right now when you think about a mask or no mask? What comes out of you right now when all the pressure's on? That's who you really are. And you can slap Jesus on it on a good day and make it look good. But you are who you are, especially that's revealed in the difficult times. There's, there's an old saying that in every life, some rain must fall. It's, this has been a really stormy, rainy year, right? This is actually kind of ridiculous. And so we are in the middle of trials. We're in the middle of troubles. We are in the middle of struggles. And followers of Jesus do not get a free pass on this. So are you positive? Are you joyful? See, that's the whole theme of this series, joyful exiles, that as we're in exile, persecuted, separated from what we would consider home, we live with a joy that's unmistakable and that's attractive. It's weird, it's odd, it's skeptical by other people, but the fact is, is that once people see joy in us, once they see us go through fire and be tested and purified, and we see that we can do it with joy, people want to know about that because they do not experience that in the depths of their heart. Going through trials and suffering is one of the main ways God grows us up to be like Jesus Christ because, no surprise, our Savior Jesus Christ went through trials. He went through troubles. He went through tribulations. He went through tests. He went through temptations. And he came out with flying colors. And we follow that guy, that God-man who paved a way for us. And we can do all of it through his power. Well, let's go back to 1 Peter. I want to look at these verses again. And verse 6 and then verse 7. That's our only real part right now. He says, so be truly glad. He's writing to scattered Christians who really are suffering more than they ever thought when they signed up for following Jesus. Um, why do we struggle so much when we suffer? Why do we ache? Why do we complain? Um, why do we doubt God's goodness in the middle of our trials? Why do we wonder and maybe even imagine God has abandoned us? He says, you must endure trials. You must, Peter says, endure trials for a little while. You know, the Bible pulls no punches when it talks about the reality of suffering. We're not immune to anything. In fact, as followers of Jesus, uh, we have all the world's suffering as well as those that come from being attacked because of a follower of Jesus, whether it's, you know, out in the world or it's just the, the reality of Satan and his uh, dominion attacking us to destroy us. Suffering is a necessary, an unavoidable part of life as a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, the struggle is, is that we live in a pretty comfortable world. Um, having been blessed to go to a lot of places around the world, I got to say, man, we've, we've got a nice, we live in a very comfortable world and we grow comfortable thinking that that's a God-given right. Um, 
You know, we, we live in a world that you do the right things, you say the right things, you push the right buttons, comfort's going to come, right? I mean, that's how it works in my life. I mean, I think about my car. All I have to do is set the settings right, turn the heater on, the defroster, I can turn the air conditioning on, I can put the seat warmer on. I can do all that stuff, turn the windshield wipers on. You know, I can do everything necessary to make it easy to drive my car, and I've got everything at my hands, my fingertips. And I complain when it's not working, right? So life should be easy because driving my car is easy, right? I mean, think about your house. How does your house work? You've got a thermostat. You've got a heater. You've got an air conditioner. You know, you've got all the controls there. Uh, you've got windows you can open up. You know, you can, you can enjoy the beauty of the nature around you. You've got everything right there. If it gets a little too cold, you put a blanket on. You sit in a comfortable chair. You sleep in a nice bed. That's how life should work because that's how our house works, right? I mean, you think about life. I mean, we want to get the right job. We want to marry the right person. We want to have really good kids. Um, we want to avoid suffering. And so we work really hard as Westerners, as Americans and American Christians to create a place of comfort. But then life begins to fall apart. Cancer strikes. You lose your job. You drift far apart from your spouse. Your children become teenagers. <laughs> I love you, boys. <laughs> COVID-19 hits. And you can't control it anymore. Stock market crashes. The election will not go your way. Because I'm talking to half of you that want to go one way and half that want to go the other way. It just is not going to work out, right? That's what happens when life shows up and sin and brokenness shows up. That's reality. It's okay to think about suffering in those terms. That's fair. Peter's specifically talking about the day when you and I face persecution. Not just discrimination but persecution for following Jesus. You know, as a human being, it doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how healthy you are. It doesn't matter how influential you are. Life will still happen to you, and you'll be thrown down to the ground. And when you think you've built a world of safety all around you, you've protected yourself from everything, life will show up, and it will destroy you unless you are standing on the solid rock of God through Jesus Christ. Think about Jesus. He's the perfect man, and yet he suffered horribly. Think about God's redemptive purpose through that, though. Why do you think we would be exempt from suffering? Why would we be exempt from troubles? Why would we be exempt from temptation? As Westerners, we're far more associated with comfort than pain. We take pills. We take medicine, so we no longer suffer, right? We don't know what it's like to grieve. And then when we lose a loved one, or something doesn't go our way, we're thrown out in the cold because we just don't get it. But life is born out of grief. Life is born out of trouble and temptation and struggle. That's when real life is born. In fact, what Peter is saying is, that's when your spiritual life comes alive. For many Americans, the pain we suffer isn't so much about the pain, but it's the fact that we're actually experiencing pain because we're just not used to it. So what does Peter say? He says, these trials will show your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. When you think about that beautiful analogy, the imagery that Peter draws out here is a refining furnace. Gold goes through the fire, through a furnace, and is refined, is purified. What he's proposing here is that God will do this to you. He's promising that just as gold goes through fire with all the impurities then rising to the top, being uh, drawn off, the dross being taken away, 
that makes gold pure. That's what's going to happen to your faith. In fact, that's the best thing to happen to your faith. Now, you think about your faith, just like gold. Gold is brought out of the dirt, right? Gold is brought out of the ground. Gold is brought out of the rock. And when you bring gold out of there, when you mine it out, it's filled with all kinds of impurities. And the only way to get the impurities out is to liquefy it, is to put it through the fire and watch all the impurities rise to the top and draw that off. Our faith, our faith has dirt. Our faith has impurities. Even the best faith of the best person has problems, right? And so what does God do? He intentionally puts us to the fire, not to punish us, not to discipline us. I mean, sometimes he does that, but, but just in a life that he wants to see grow to maturity, he puts us through fire so that we will come out shining like gold. You know, when we suffer, it does something good to our faith. And if I can be honest, you have impurities and so do I. And God needs to refine that out of you and me. And so he will do it because he's a loving father that wants something great out of us. So the reality is I think we should stop complaining about the pain and suffering of this world and start rejoicing. That's what Peter tells us to do. That's what James tells us to do. And if you start doing it, even if you don't feel like it, if you begin to rejoice and count it all joy and be truly glad when you suffer, your heart's going to change because your mouth has changed. Your focus has changed. You begin to realize that there is incredible beauty in suffering and pain. So let's stop adding to our faith impurities that don't help us along the way. And I'll be honest, it might be politics right now. It might be a fight for a political party or political platform. It, 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 might, it might be your possessions, holding on to things, striving after things. And those possessions are just impurities that God wants to draw away. It could be pleasure. It could be the just desire to be comfortable and it's no longer comfortable. Let God purify of you, you of those things so that the only thing that is seen is Jesus. So Peter kicks it off with, so be truly glad. How could you be glad in suffering? Well, Peter, James, Jesus himself experienced this, a deep satisfaction with the relationship with God in the middle of struggle, a reality that no matter what happens in this world, I'm safe and secure in the arms of God, a reality that even in the midst of suffering, God could be doing something amazing in me or through me or around me. And so they accepted it and they were purified because of it. And actually, they lost their life because of it. But their life was not worthy of holding on to. Because Jesus didn't hold on to his life. He gave it away for you and for me. And so Peter, when he died for his faith, James, when he died, Peter, when he died, you list all of the apostles. When they were killed, crucified, beheaded, driven through with a sword, they did so because they did not consider this life to be true life. They considered this to be a time of passing through, a life within a bigger life, a colony within a colony, a resident alien, a joyful exile. And when they met him face to face, that's when it all made, was made clear. I just got a note from Caring Bridge this morning that one of my dear friends, a friend that I'd known for 25 years, more actually, I met in 1992, just passed through. She just died this morning of cancer. 
And uh, she was a gal that encouraged me, a gal that challenged me, a gal that sometimes I was close to proximity, other times different state, different community. But she was a faithful follower of Jesus. And every time I saw her, she had joy on her face. I gave her a hug. She was a gal that I truly thought was someone who exemplified Christ. And this morning, Ellie passed to be with Jesus. And her body decayed because of cancer. But you know what? She is now where she was always longing to be. And so, friends, don't cling to this life. Don't hold on to these possessions. Don't strive for pleasure. And don't fight for politics. Give all those things away so that we could cling only to Jesus. And so that Jesus could be known and seen in us and through us. He says, so when your faith, when your faith is tested, it's going to shine. It's going to come through. Remain strong through many trials. It will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Our trials and troubles are the way God purifies us. Well, let me finish with two verses here. In verse 8 and 9, he says this. He says, you love him even though you have never seen him. We talked about that last week. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious and expressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. I want to wrap it up with just a couple thoughts. Um, as a pastor, every once in a while, I try to find, you know, creative ways to put it together, i.e. geeky, pastoral words that start with T or something like that, um, maybe even pithy. But I want to tell you, this is the summation of what Peter speaks about when he speaks about troubles and trials and difficulties. This is what we have seen, we will seen, and this is about a faith being evident because of Jesus. So here are Peter's responses and reasons to rejoice in trials. I'm going to go quickly through this, and you could download this on our website, or if you're here today, you could pick it up on your way in or out. Uh, but here, here, just real quickly, I'll just close with this. Trials toughen your faith. Uh, he, he says this in chapter 4, verse 19. So if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, it is possible to suffer in a manner that pleases God. Keep on doing what is right, and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. Trials will toughen you up for faith, right? Number two, trials are traded for glory, right? Chapter 5, verse 10. We're going to see this in weeks to come. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, it's expected, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. Number three, trials change your trajectory, right? It's a geeky pastor thing. Sorry, it's all about tea here. The course of your life, the, the very reality has changed now. Since then, since, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. In other words, suffering will take you away from those temptations and struggles. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own I'll add foolish desires, right? We've all got them. But you will be anxious to do the will of God. It sets us on a good course. Number four, trials bring treasures. Uh, chapter 3, verses 13 to 14. Uh, now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. Maybe not in this life, but in the life to come. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. And finally, number five, trials purify your testimony, which is what we just saw. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. 
though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So friends, you will experience trials. So do not be surprised. Do not be amazed that God would not just allow you, but actually walk you through the fire. That he will walk you through the difficulty. That he will be with you and hold your hand along the way. That he will be, if you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he will be with you in the fire and he will protect you. But he will not keep you from the fire because the fire of suffering, of troubles, of danger is how he wants to grow you up. I'm getting ready to hop on a plane here shortly to go to Alaska to meet with some pastors. And I've got a, uh, a journey ahead. And if you've ever flown in, I've a couple times in and out of Alaska. It can be kind of challenging. Um, and so just imagine I were to go to, to PDX and uh, go up there. I'm flying Alaska, which is appropriate airline to fly to Alaska. And, um, and, you know, I go up to the desk, the gate there. I get my ticket. And uh, how's the flight? Everything's on time? Yeah. But I, I do need to let you know, the, the gal at the desk says, that based upon weather patterns and storms, uh, that is going to be a pretty bumpy ride. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be a challenge. Um, but you're going to get there. You'll be fine, safe, intact. And uh, just be prepared. It's going to be a little turbulent. Well, if, if I start to panic that I'm not going to be comfortable, not going to like that, I mean, yeah, just imagine what... I could do, I could, I could go to United, I could go to Delta, and I could go to their ticket counter, and I could say, hey, do you have a flight going to Anchorage? Yeah, we got a flight going to Anchorage. How's that going to be? Oh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be smooth sailing. I mean, we're going to have the best food on the flight. We've got in-flight entertainment. The captain, oh, this captain's really funny. He's going to tell jokes. It's going to be great. You'll, you'll enjoy it. I go, really? That sounds good. Uh, can I get a ticket? Yeah. Oh, there's just one more thing we need to let you know about. This particular plane um, always has a struggle a problem with the landing gear on the nose. We're never quite sure if it's down. Um, you will land. It's just uh, we're not quite sure if uh, you're going to land safely. Uh, do you want your ticket? Well, of course not. I'll go back to Alaska, right? Because I would take a bumpy ride that's guaranteed to get me to the place I want to go than a ride that just lulls me to pleasure that's going to go down with danger. My friends, that's just the reality of our lives. You could choose to try to create a world full of pleasure, free of pain, so that you could live it to the full. The Bible says if you do that, when you finally land the plane on the other side of eternity, you will regret your whole life because you landed without God. And yeah, you lived a great pleasurable ride, uh, but you never checked the destination and what was going to happen. On the other hand, as a follower of Christ, I'm rock-solid confident that the bumps will come, the turbulence will come, the trials, temptations, troubles, tests, you name it, temptations will be there. But that's okay, because I am confident that when I land, I'll be safe and secure in his arms, and I will see him face to face. And so as a follower of Christ, I just urge you to draw your comfort through Jesus today. If you're suffering, I'm pretty confident, it's very likely you're suffering if you're struggling, if you're suffering in any way, lean on Jesus today. Know that in the, even though there's going to be tribulation, turbulence, you have faith that he's going to get you there. And he's going to carry you safely to the other side. And even if in the next five or ten years things go really south for followers of Christ in America, 
It's going to be okay. Because this world is not our home. And we shouldn't love this world at all anyway. We should put our hope and our hearts in heaven. Would you pray with me? Father God, as I think about what Peter's talked about, which is the fact that we should be truly glad during trials, just like James said, we should count it all joy when we struggle and we suffer. Father, I pray that we would be the kind of people that are willing to look at the suffering and struggles around us and rejoice and to live lives as exiles, as resident aliens, as joyful exiles in a land that is not our home. It never was our home. And if we thought it was, and if we thought we were building a home for ourselves, that we would go home and just burn that stuff down, God, because we would offer it to you and say, I no longer put my stock in my pleasure. I no longer put my stock in my possessions. I no longer put my stock in in my safety or in my politics or in my opinions or in my desires. I put all of my stock in you, Jesus, and that stock will never crash. It will never decrease. It will only increase as time goes on. Father, whatever we're struggling with, whatever we're suffering with, you're the God of all comfort. We just invite you to bring comfort. Whatever it takes, Father, through the fire, bring it so that you would draw off the impurity from us so that we would shine like Jesus to a world that needs to see Christ. And if perhaps we're here and really all we've been taking stock in is making a safe place for ourselves and we really don't know you, maybe we're a church person, maybe we're a person that has added a little bit of Jesus to our life but really don't have Jesus at the core of our life, then Father, I pray that we would realize that that bumpy landing is going to destroy us at the end of our life and that we could come to faith in Jesus by believing that he died for our sins that there's peace with you through Christ and receiving the message of eternal life. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.